Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that doesn't need three spoonfuls of sriracha jam to delight your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is a 21-grain salute to the end of boring bread, a brand on a mission to make the most out of every loaf, to rid the world of GMOs and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. But Dave's Killer Bread has done more than raise the bar on bread. In fact, Dave's Killer Bread was built on the belief that second chances can change lives. When its founder, Dave, the guy with the guitar you see on every loaf, returned to the family bakery after 15 years in prison. Dave took that chance and ended up creating what would become the country's number one organic bread while never forgetting his not-so-easy path. That's why at Dave's Killer Bread, they proudly practice second-chance employment, hiring the best person for the job, regardless of criminal background. And by the taste of it, things have worked out rather well. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread Amplified. Welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. And we had a pretty good fight last night. A little bit of extracurriculars that kind of casting a cloud over Terrence Crawford's stoppage of Sean Porter. But man, my buddy Eris Pina and I, we just had to hop on the show and do a recap. Dude, how's it going? It's going good, man. Like you said, that was a really intense, enjoyable fight last night. Well fought, not, um, you know, rough for here and there, but just not really dirty or anything. The referee didn't have to get involved too much, aside from a couple of headbutts. And uh, what we watched was two of the best welterweights in the world, the very best elite in the world, um, and Terrence Crawford, and one of the best, toughest fighters on the planet, and Sean Porter, putting out their A-plus games, man. And it was just a really intense game of um, back and forth for a while, tit for tat until Crawford eventually came out ahead. And um, yeah, it was an excellent fight, one of the better ones of the year. I won't call it the fight of the year, but definitely one of the better ones. It was Crawford's, um, I would probably say, is a signature moment in his career so far for a variety of reasons. But yeah, after the fight, you know, it's, it was a little bit dampened by the actions of Kenny Porter. Oh, but um, it was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But you know, we'll save that for a minute. And um all in all, though, I'm not going to let that detract from what was an excellent fight between both guys. You know what I mean? Regardless of what Kenny said, Sean Porter probably put on the best performance of his career. It just, the fact of the matter is he did it against the, one of the absolute best elite um, generational talents that we have in Terrence Crawford. And even at that point, when you put out your absolute best, it might not still be enough, but he has nothing to be ashamed about. He put on a hell of a fight and he pushed Crawford more than most guys would be able to in the world. So all in all, a great action fight. It's really unfortunate that it's that Terrence Crawford's 34 and that it's taken until now to have a kind of signature win like that. I mean, there's reasons for that. We talked about that in the preview. There's reasons for that that Terrence Crawford talked about after the fight last night, too, frankly. But the point is, and what should be the focus, and it unfortunately is not because of some of the shit that happened after the fight, was that it was a very good fight. Uh, it was probably the biggest test of Terrence Crawford's career and he rose to the occasion Sean Porter is the kind of fighter who throughout his career is kind of like fought up and down to the level of his op opposition at times um where there have been times where fights where I think it was the Julio Diaz fight where he just did not look good at all and Diaz was a, a version of himself that was like 
not the kind of fighter that you know a, a Sean Porter should not have been doing well they against. I think, draw, right? Their first fight? I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I now I'd have to look back, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm remembering correctly. There was a few of those fights early on where he was struggling. Yeah. I don't think he looked too swift against Alfonso Gomez either. There were yeah, there were a number of fights where you could really see holes in his style where he was more of a kind of plow forward throw a bunch of shoe shine type punches, you know, <laughs> type shit, you know, where it was like really predictable what he was going to do. And it seemed like some fighters had kind of dialed in on that fairly early in his career, but he'd obviously developed uh, and gotten to a point where he was fighting the elite and fighting right alongside with them. And that's a lot of what this fight was about going in was trying to be a, a barometer for where Terrence Crawford was in terms of this division and a generational talent, like you said. And so he rose to the occasion, but definitely not without some, some speed bumps along the way. Absolutely not. And, um, you know, it's interesting now that after this fight has ended, like you said, it took this long for him to finally get the signature win, hopefully because he's basically said that he's a free agent now and he's going to be done with top rank that, the fights that he's seeking are going to be easier to be made. I mean, I still don't know how far, how close we will ever going to get to another um, a potential fight with Errol Spence. I mean, that's the fight that boxing fans have been salivating for for years, like we've discussed on the show. And it's become this, basically this generation's Pacquiao Mayweather. Um, in terms of just back and forth, back and forth, for one reason or another, it can't be made. And after last night and the way Spence kind of stormed out, I mean, who knows? Well, I don't I guess it all depends on where um, Terrence Crawford ends up now. If he wants to remain a free agent and just kind of pick and choose fights he can go from, then maybe he'll go that route. But if he goes with PBC, which I'm sure there's a lot of people who are hoping he, he could do because of the avenues and the fights that are over there or whoever it could be, I mean, um, I think now that he solidified this in the way he stopped Porter, which you know no one else has been able to do that. And as we discussed before on the show, he needed to, you know, have a signature, like a big defining moment win like that. He got it. He did. It was incredible the way he was able to do that. He broke down Porter, beat him up. Those body shots were awesome. And eventually he was able to stop him. So now the world's at his fingertips, basically. And we'll, I can't wait to see what the future holds now that he's not under the reign of top rank. Yeah, you know, there's that kind of... Uh... It was impatience and, I guess, I don't know, animosity or whatever, but not truly to that degree. But clearly, Terrence Crawford, after the fight last night, uh, one of the quotes that he had said was that basically Bob Arum wasn't able to secure me that, that Errol Spence fight, so I got to move on. I don't really blame him. I mean, he's not incorrect in that regard. regard. Bob Arum and Top Rank were not able to secure him the Errol Spence fight, and so... I mean, he's, he's kind of... Or any major fight, for that matter. That really? Yeah. He really wanted like that, yeah. Well, and and it, it I think from their perspective, from somebody from top rank, Aram, whatever, they're, they've been consistently trying to put the ball in his court and trying to say, you know, put the blame on him, saying, well, he doesn't sell well. He's difficult to promote. He's this, he's that. And, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't know who's incorrect there. I have no inside knowledge, but... I think that the win last night was a clear indicator that he's willing to take take on really good welterweights and that he can beat them. 
And so, I mean, it's kind of, I think, uh, the evidence is kind of on Terrence Crawford's side because we have seen and heard from Bob Arum uh, specifically say, you know, I don't know how to promote him. I don't know how to get him fights. I don't know how to do this. He doesn't sell. And kind of like, uh, I guess you could you could basically say he's getting gaslit. He's They're not doing well by him and then saying, well, we're not doing well by him because it's his fault. It's It's kind of fucked up. So I don't really blame him for looking elsewhere but i mean you know i think that there's also going to be some who who claim the the fact that terrence crawford had a difficult time with sean porter is indicative of the fact that it was his fault or he was the one avoiding these fights or he's the one who doesn't want the errol spence fight so i mean i don't know i thought that it was an extremely kind of right like I said rise to the occasion sort of performance where I don't really see anything about Terrence Crawford that would indicate to me he's avoiding any fights but maybe I'm wrong he's definitely not um if anything he's just a guy that's been kind of begging for him for one reason or another top rank um who's had more priorities with other with other fighters on their roster have given more attention to that and every time that been a um there's been rumors or a potential fight big fight that's about to happen falls through most notably pacquiao because i don't think anything's ever really come in terms of negotiations or talks with spence at all just more so back and forth hearsay so the pacquiao one's the main one that he was kind of begging for for a while and then it looked like it was finally going to happen during the pandemic or whatever but for one reason or another it fell through and then you can always just see too like the animosity the uneasiness between Aram and Crawford when there was interviews together. There was one time, I think, after one of Crawford's last fights that um, after whoever it was he stopped, I want to say it might have been the Kell Brook fight. And during the interview, he they asked him, you know, what's going to be the future for you? What fight do you want next? And then he turned, he looked at Aram and just kind of gave him that look with the eyes. And then Aram went on his spiel, Terrence Crawford is the best welterweight in the world and everyone's just avoiding him. We're going to try to make the Pacquiao fighter. But like... Nothing really, you know, it didn't happen. But finally, in the fight that a lot of people were just like, all right, this is make or break for him in terms of can he be like a star in the sport? We all know he's one of the best in the world, but like, is this going to be the fight that people are going to start really demanding that these next, that these super fights happen for him from now on? Um, he broke through. He absolutely broke through. It was an intense fight, man. One of those fights that the first half of the fight that um, Crawford probably was behind during the first half of the fight. That's how really good it was. But it wasn't so bad that he was getting, like, absolutely dominated or anything like that. It was really tit for tat, nip and tuck. I mean, you could have had it even. It wouldn't have been a big deal. But it was really, really, really close until Crawford finally broke through in the final few rounds there. Yeah, that's you – know, we, we fell prey to the – we fell prey to Kenny Porter's bullshit, too, unfortunately. <laughs> we got sucked into talking about stuff that wasn't the fight. It was a really good fight. Um you know, I think that there was a school of thought that, well, I would just say what wound up happening was what I think a lot of people, us included, thought would happen was, is that it would be a close fight. It would be a competitive fight that Terrence Crawford wound up showing his class in, wound up pulling away uh, or something like that. And I think that that was pretty much what happened. It was a little bit difficult to follow along with the damage that Terrence Crawford was doing if you were just listening to the... ESPN commentating, in my opinion. Uh, well, actually, Andre Ward seemed to be picking up on Terrence Crawford's body shots, but yeah. most most of the other guys weren't really saying much about it. 
But throughout the fight, from about the second or third round on, Terrence Crawford was really landing hard body shots. They weren't all the time, but uh, there were a couple of replays where he was catching them with just massive, massive body shots. And I think well, those- he turned southpaw and he was like landing those yep. uppercuts to the gut. And there was yeah. one in particular, I want to say around the eighth or ninth round or something like that. Yeah, Porter was like surging at that point, and Crawford, you just heard the thud just like. And he slowed up noticeably just from that one shot. And it was like a thing, like Crawford gradually each round, he started going more and more because it wasn't like he was overwhelming or doing anything crazy. Like a lot of the times he was letting Porter um, dictate the pace and the action. But each round near the end of the round, Crawford would show that he was still like in control or still knew what was going on when he would throw that flurry and always land a few, a few key body shots, like you said, you know, near the end. It's almost like... Similar to how, like, Mayweather broke down Jesus Chavez years ago with those body shots over and over throughout the rounds as Chavez kept on surging ahead, going ahead, going ahead until he was finally, like, broken and Mayweather really put it on him before he stopped him. Actually, that's not a, that's not a bad call because it was like, I think that if you watch the fight and unfold round by round, it almost looked like, um, <coughs> excuse me, it looked like Sean Porter was doing more damage than he was actually doing, in my opinion. Uh, it's not that he wasn't landing. It's not that he wasn't being effective. It's that a lot of his punches were kind of glancing. And that, um, in my opinion, also, what Terrence Crawford wasn't doing inside made it look bad for him. Because Sean Porter would get in close, and Terrence Crawford was kind of just covering up or trying to clinch in a way where it looked I don't want to say panicked but it looked like urgent like he was like nope nope don't want to do this Nah, I'm not fighting inside with you and it's like I don't blame you like you shouldn't have you shouldn't have played his game and on top of that he was probably wary of Sean Porter's head like which he should have been because as we saw they both wound up cut and they both wound up cut somewhat significantly so yeah and that was especially true in the early rounds because they did have a few like fierce exchanges and Porter got the better of yeah. them early on. Cause that's, that's Porter's game is that if you get into like a firefight with him, stuff like that, he knows how to get through and like, he has really fast hands on the inside. He does in the, in the way he kind of world works, it's hard to like really keep up with him in those types of exchanges. So Crawford was caught a few times early on there as we suspected he would be. And as he, you know, in terms, until he starts adjusting and figuring them out, but I would say around, around, around like six, seven, you know, around the seventh round, you could tell they had figured Porter out by that point. And at that point, that's when, like you mentioned, even though Porter would land a flurry, you never got the sense that Crawford was in trouble. Even though sometimes he would be on the ropes, he'd get wobbled to, he'd get pushed to the ropes, and Porter would put pressure on him while landing punches. But it was nothing like significant where it looked like Crawford actually had a, had a chance of going down or his legs buckled a little bit or whatever. And especially, too, he would show Porter the minute after Porter would back up from his flurry, Crawford would be smiling at him. And usually when a guy would be gets hit, oh, he's smiling after he got hit because he's hurt a little bit. That wasn't so much the case with Crawford. It was even more so just to show them, hey, like, I'm totally in control here. And he would just go back and land again like a well-paced body shot one or two and then start walking him back. It was, he did a lot of pressure himself. Like, Porter put on a lot of pressure. But Crawford, totally. the way he would cut off the, the ring and kept on backing Porter up himself and pushing him <clears throat> also, too, to show his strength was, a pretty, was pretty telling. 
something that Sean Porter does, um, I mean, it, it's not really a novel concept and it's not something that's really that tricky or anything like that, high level, I suppose, but it's something that you nonetheless don't see a ton of fighters doing. And, uh, and also you don't see a lot of fighters doing it to Terrence Crawford specifically. One thing that he was doing, and he was doing a really good job of round after round, even after Terrence Crawford seemed to kind of click and, you know, dial in a little bit, even after that, uh, Sean Porter moves his head, you know, he kind of does that shit where he bobs and weaves. Um, he was he was bringing up Marvin Hagler a lot before the fight. It's the same type of shit Hagler used to do. Like, he's not throwing? All right, well, then he's doing the constant, like, head movement, you know, and, like, unpredictable head movement. And then as soon as he moves to go inside, he knows that the other fighter is going to make a move to stay outside, and he steps with them. Rather than going at them or cutting off an angle, he waits until that the fighter that he's going after makes their move to you know exit out the back door and then rather than just kind of like you know continuing on the same path he stops steps with them and throws a punch and he was able to do that to Crawford a number of times with his right hand um he started moving for some reason to the wrong side I don't know why and Kenny Porter was actually shouting it uh for a round or two you know you're moving to the wrong side go to the Go to your left, go to your left, because it was Southpaw versus Orthodox. For some reason, he was walking straight into the right hand. But whatever, I mean, that's what he did. Uh, maybe he saw something, but that also led to him walking directly into those left uppercuts that you were talking about. I'm sorry, I know that it gets kind of boring when talking about, like, the tactical, like, little micro fucking tactical yeah, but it was a really boxing, intense, but... <laughs> really high technical fight between two elite, you know, huge. Exactly. So yeah. Those are the kinds of things that happen, you know? Absolutely. And it was really fascinating to watch the way they would like um, Bradley called Tim Bradley called it out really well at one point where Crawford would without even throwing punches because he has such good like the way he places his feet and he's so good at cutting off the ring it's putting pressure on you without really even throwing punches because he wasn't he wasn't like throwing punches back him up he'd probably hear jabby here and there but it was mostly just the pressure and he pressure and he counter and pressure Porter all the way to the ropes. And then you'd watch, and then Porter out of nowhere would switch his feet, shuffle a little bit, and then like um, almost twist Brad, um, not Bradley, um, Crawford. And, you know, they were almost like trying to counteract each other. It's like playing chess in there. Crawford was always, though you can tell at that point, was already in control and just going along with it. But they was always just trying to stay one step ahead, and Porter was constantly trying to keep up with Crawford's mind. One thing that Sean Porter said immediately after the fight, and he was obviously pretty lucid uh, after his dad stopped the fight. He seemed like, Clearly. I didn't think that it was, it was an early stoppage, but not like a criminally early stoppage. It was mostly what his dad said that was shitty, but he was very lucid. And he offered during the interview, he said something to the effect of, I was trying to not let Terrence Crawford get into a rhythm. But then the problem was he didn't let me get into my rhythm. So yeah. basically, you know, he was he was trying to um, trying to make his game plan work, and in doing so, Terrence Crawford totally stymied that and was able to kind of cut him off, and then finally figure out like a some sort of switch late in the fight. And anyway, I mean, yeah, it. it it was a very tactical fight for much of it, despite the fact that Sean Porter was was pressing and being aggressive and throwing. 
Um, there could have been more punches thrown, yeah, and there could have been more inside fighting shown by Terrence Crawford, and I think that that would probably be a big reason why if you had Sean Porter ahead on the cards, I mean, I'm not 100% I, sure I would agree with that, but if you did, like, I would understand, because again, he was aggressive, he was pressing the fight in many of the rounds, in a number of those close, ra- close rounds, when he was getting inside, Terrence Crawford was like, just tying him up. And he was still able to score sometimes when that happened too. But in any case, uh, what winds up happening is that in the 10th round, finally Terrence Crawford breaks through, lands a massive uppercut and hurts Sean Porter and sends him down. He seemed a little bit more hurt or at least surprised on that first knockdown. And then in the, on the, immediately followed up and knocked him down again. And Kenny Porter was already kind of headed up onto the apron to stop the fight. And Sean Porter looked pissed in the moment. He looked pretty mad, like, what the fuck are you doing? And so, you know, the a lot of that stuff came to a head. A lot of the stuff, actually, that Kenny Porter said pre-fight wound up being somewhat prophetic, uh, or if not prophetic, almost ironic, too. The stuff he said about Crawford and the stuff he said about his son and about their bond and all that type of that type of stuff, because... When, you know, the story they're telling, the stories they're telling about Crawford as an amateur and as a young kid and about how angry he was. And, I mean, when you hear Sean Porter tell it, like, Kenny Porter was almost telling it, like, damn, like, what a little shit. But Sean Porter was telling it, like, this guy's fucking scary. Like, the way that he was telling it was, like, you guys don't understand. Like, you know, you might think that he's emotional, but what I'm telling you is that that's scary in the ring. And so, you know, it was almost prophetic in that, in that regard, but then Kenny Porter and the talk about their relationship and stuff. I mean, we know as fans, we know that when the father is involved immediately in the corner, it's like, it almost never ends well for whatever reason. And it was like, that's, that's kind of what wound up coming to a head last night where he says, he, he totally threw his, his own son under the bus. He wasn't prepared. He didn't do what I told him to do in the gym. And I knew this was going to happen. He said, who I saw this that? all planned out from the very beginning of the fight. I already knew. And so yeah, I who says that? Because and he was like, yeah, he wasn't prepared. So that's why I stopped the fight. All this other stuff. Like, that wasn't necessary. All right. You know, it, it really wasn't. I mean, Porter fought his absolute heart out. And whatever Kenny Porter wants to say, all that stupid nonsense. Um... Porter really fought a hell of a fight. He fought a fight that most guys that Crawford was going, like the way Crawford mentally and just physically breaks you down, most guys would have been stopped way before Porter was, all right? Let alone kept it as close as he did. And Porter has fought an elite amount of fighters. He's the best. Out of the welterweight division, we've discussed this, but everybody also agrees with it. His resume is like bar none. He's fought a who's who. He fought them all, you know? And for him to get criticized by his dad at the end of that fight. Oh, well, you know, he could have done better. He wasn't prepared. He didn't do this. I already knew it was going to happen. That's such like a stereotypical type shit that we've seen in other like things where dad's just kids trying to get their approval. I don't know, man, but it's definitely some psychological messed up thing. And the way they were like talking beforehand about the relationship that their dad had with Porter and how strong it is and everything, that was definitely a huge monkey wrench that no one was really expecting afterwards. If you look at Porter, man, you really, you can tell he was, like, feeling sad and kind of, like, uncomfortable and looking at his dad, like, you know, almost like, yeah, I let him down again type deal. You know what I mean? It was just really messed up. And that was the last thing he needed, man, because he should have been proud of his effort. He actually absolutely should have been proud of his effort. 
kid went out there and gave a hell of a thing, man. Even Della Hoya's dad, all right, for example, Della Hoya, Oscar Della Hoya's dad, who was the most critical person, it was well documented how much of an asshole he was towards his kid and how Oscar was always trying to seek of his approval and everything like that. Finally was like cool and sympathetic with him when he lost to Trinidad. What does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's an it's unhealthy, dude. Like it's it's very unhealthy. unhealthy. And so the, and the way the, he just says it so matter of factly and everything. And then yeah. on top of that, um was quoted afterwards talking to Kevin Ioli saying, you know, saying doubling down on what he said. Yeah, saying that, you know, uh, he could see it in his eyes when he's like he's coming to work looking at the clock, trying to go home. Yeah. Fuck, dude, if I was training like that, I'd be looking at the clock. <laughs> Even if I wanted it, I'd be looking at the clock. But it just no, sounds I mean, like a bitter guy that didn't yeah, get, you he know, really likes does. to be in control. Sean is kind of like branching out and doing whatever it is with his other careers and everything like that. Kenny's not a part of it and doesn't have control of his career or whatever he needs him to be. And he's just kind of like, well, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm mad yeah. and sour grapes and I'm going to throw say about it. Like a lot, I don't know. I, I have no idea what goes on in the inside of those two, nor am I, nor am I interested in trying to explore it like that. But like, there's clearly something going on because that was just ridiculous. And I'm not surprised that someone like Tim, like Tim Bradley was like cool with it because he's already gotten the reputation of always being highly critical of every fighter that he announces on anyways, I guess. He's known as that guy on ESPN. Even Andre Ward has mentioned that. So Bradley went along with it, but Ward to it, you know, was the one who mentioned it too. That he was like, I have no idea why he did that. I find that ridiculous. You know, he should be praised for the effort that he put up against. He just fought an elite fighter and just came up short in a great fight. Like there's no way you should be criticizing his performance because there's nothing to criticize. You're either a team or you're not a team. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, you can't be a team in good times, and not a team when he loses or whatever. And th th that's not always been the case too. I should slightly defend Kenny Porter and that in his pre after his previous losses or some of his previous losses, like yeah, he was for, in for instance, after he lost to Kelbrook, Kenny Porter seemed pretty supportive. I remember that. Like he was like, yeah, you know, we, we need to go back to the drawing board. There's some stuff we need to work on. Like he fought a good fight, but he needs to work on some stuff. Like, you know, that's a healthy response. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like, almost. I think you kind of called it, like, I don't want to say it's jealousy, but perhaps he's just, he's uh, concerned, discouraged, whatever, by the fact that Sean Porter's kind of found his own niche. He's he's branching out and doing other stuff. He's commentating. He seems to be, uh, you know, doing really well outside of, well, not outside of boxing, but outside of the ring. And so that's, maybe he's kind of starting to feel like, well, what does he need me for? I get it. It's that's a totally healthy uh, thought process, but the way that he's carrying it out and the way that it's manifesting and verbalizing is not, it's not healthy for Sean Porter. You know, it's not cool. It's you said yourself, he fought a really hard fight, a good fight, a respectable fight against a guy who's clearly one of the best fighters in the world. And there's no shame in going out the way that he did or had he not been stopped and had he been knocked down again or stopped by the ref or whatever, no shame in that either. He fought a damn good fight. And like I said earlier, some people had Sean Porter ahead. I wouldn't argue too, too much with him. No, understandably. I mean, up until the knockdowns when Crawford really just kind of finished him off, that was an extremely close, close fight with a very, with a lot of close swing rounds that you could go either way on. And, um, I think that the, 
I don't remember the exact scorecards, but I think at least two of them reflected that as much too. No. You know what? To be honest, I didn't even see. I I was fucking tired last night after the fight. I was too, man. I mean, I was buzzing from that, but then I was buzzing even more from after watching Kenny Porter's completely shit off. I know. Yeah, that was (laughs) that was a little bit of a fucking buzz kill, dude. It was kind of kind of crappy. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I don't know. That was just ridiculous. It's unfortunate. But you can't let that damper what was a good fight. And Sean Porter surprisingly uh, announced his retirement after the fight. So. That was, yeah, a lot, of, we, which we mentioned, we did uh, discuss something like that. Like, Porter really doesn't have anything else to prove at this point. He's fought the best of the best. He's fought an elite level of guys. Um, he's become a well-known commentator now on a variety of different networks and platforms for boxing. Um, like you mentioned him with his, you know, signature giant-ass um, uh, knocks in his tie and everything. He's a very snappy, <laughs> like he's a really good analyst. I enjoy listening to him, man. Yeah. He's growing his own. He he's growing in his own as a commentator. So yeah, if this is going to be the end for him, then he has a very good, um, good future ahead of him. Absolutely, and all the best. He definitely left us with plenty of memories in the ring. You know, as terms of a guy that mm-hmm. was for his hero Marvin Hagler, I would say he definitely did him proud with taking on all comers, trying to fight the best of the best, and always trying to make sure he seeked out the best fighters out there to um, always test himself at the limit, then, yeah, can't beat that. Two-time welterweight champion. And the deep division, the way he is, and and the few, one guy in the way boxing is in this type of world where it's so hard to try to nail down big fights because everybody is so protective of their records and all the networks and all this other yada, 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 that he was the one guy that was able to be like, you know what, aside from Pacquiao, he fought everybody. Totally. There's he had a better than respectable career. You know, you yeah. He totally. had a very good career. And he fought some and beat some very good fighters. And he stayed even or about even with some really good fighters. There's Never nothing for him out. to Yeah, nothing for him to be ashamed of. He didn't avoid anybody. Um, I hope for his sake, you know, he's only 34. But I hope for his sake he stays retired. That Absolutely. that would be that would be the best thing for him. And I would I mean, say also too, I don't, I'm not I'm not speculating anything, but he has a better resume than some of the guys that are already on the ballot right now. <laughs> That's for sure, dude. He he's already probably got a better case. But you know, I I would wish him the best. To me, Sean Porter seems like a winner, like in just in general, one of those people who. Whatever it is they're doing, whether they're playing some game or a video game or running a race or, it's, you know, they're talking about in the in the lead up how he played, I think it was high school football and was going to uh, go to college and all this type of stuff. And it seems to me like he's the type of person where, like, he's not going to be content. He's not going to be content being a litmus test for other fighters. And that's kind of what he's become, not in a bad way, because it's not like he's a litmus test for prospects. He's a litmus test for whether or not you're fucking elite. So, I mean, that's there's obviously a big difference between being some sort of gatekeeper for young fighters who are they going to become anything at all or are they not? And there's a difference between being a gatekeeper and trying to figure out whether somebody's elite. And so, I, but I get it. Regardless, he doesn't want to be a gatekeeper, period. And so, for his sake, you know, I, I hope he stays retired and I hope that he, I think he does a great job. He's pretty cool. Seems like he's a good uh, commentator, et cetera. I think he's got a f- clearly has a future uh, with either Premier Boxing Champions or one of the networks doing commentating. So 
yeah, I mean, you know, for me, Sean Porter can't, it's, it's tough to not root for the guy, but so kind of like flipping over to Terrence Crawford now and uh, shifting away from this Kenny Porter nonsense. So Terrence Crawford, like he, he was still pretty reserved in his uh, post-fight comments and even in his celebration, like he danced with his mom for a couple minutes, but otherwise didn't really do a whole lot was just, you know, he said about what you would expect him to say, I guess. Uh, other fighters might hear him hooting and hollering and calling out and shit. But for him, he was just kind of like, yeah, you know, this is what I expected. I've just been waiting for this. And it sounded like he was a fighter who was like, all right, man, you know, now let's get the big fights going. Uh, do you think this changes the perception of Terrence Crawford? Like, do you think that his stock goes up, stays about the same? Like, where are we at here? Anything his stock goes up. I mean, he made a major statement being the first and guess going to be the only guy to stop Sean Porter. He was tested by Porter, just like we said, but as each round went down, he broke him down. He was able to stop him. That's a, that's a major statement. Porter's as tough as they come. And whether you agree with the stoppage or not, Crawford probably was going to finish it at some point. So that was, that was big. And that solidified, at least for me, him being the best welterweight in the world, if not the best fighter in the world. I still think Canelo Alvarez deserves to be number one power for pound, but Crawford is just, and you know, an incredible talent in himself. Uh, to watch him work, the, you know, I think he's the best finisher in boxing. He's one, you know, just everything about him. He's just an incredible talent, and I'm not. And at this moment, I can't see anyone beating him. Um, that being said, even though his stock is at a very high moment, at you know, probably at an all-time high after this fight, I don't know if that's going to translate still into the big fights that he's looking for. It all depends on where I guess he ends up now, now that he's not with Aaron. Um, I guess that will be easier for him to try to negotiate in terms of trying to land big fights now that he is that top rank, trying to hold him back or whatever the situation was with that. But that really depends on where he ends up. You know, if he tries to do the free agent thing, I guess he can do that because a lot of fighters try to do that now. But um, it, you know, it's, I guess that's where I'm, that's all I know. That's all I can really think about at this point is that like, depending on where he ends up, that's, I guess, in lines where he can try to get these biggest fights. I know he still wants to fight Otto Spence. He said so as much afterwards. But, again, that's like beating a dead horse. Will it ever happen? Who knows? <laughs> Spence, first off, still has to come back from this eye injury that he suffered um, with his with a detached retina, which is serious enough in itself that it's kind of silly at the moment to even be speculating about future fights for him until we know um, how he's going to heal from this. But Crawford is clearly the best uh, best fighter in the division. Whether he wants to hang around now and try to pick off the other guys in PBC, because that's really all the only other top fighters out there, or maybe Josh Taylor, who's the unified junior welterweight champion, um, we'll see. He also made he also mentioned potentially moving up to 154, which I could see him doing. So even at 34, I think he's still in his prime. I don't think he's even like slowed down a little bit or slightly past it. Still seems to be operating at an absolute elite level, and I can't wait to see where he's going to end up and which fights will be easier to be made, um, be made because of it. Well, I'll tell you that Crawford Spence is no Charlo Andrade, unfortunately. I mean, of course, that's the biggest fight in boxing, if you didn't know, Pat. Biggest. Absolute yeah, biggest fight to be made. Yeah, it's the, the biggest. biggest fight anybody could ever really conceive, to be frank. But, dude, you know... Uh, <clears throat> forget Fury Joshua, forget Spence... Um, Spence Crawford, I mean, 
Yeah, like there's there's it's, bigger it's, fights. Yeah, there's bigger fights Charlo that have happened in the last three weeks, and there's bigger fights that are going to be happening it, that last night and in the next three weeks than fucking Charlo Andre, you dumbass. Anyway, <laughs> no, dude, I was thinking about this last night for real. Like, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to like crawl on top rank too much here, but it almost felt to me like with how weak the undercard was, with how weak the Crawford uh, Porter undercard was. And the fact that it wasn't Errol Spence or it wasn't some other PBC welterweight who maybe was a slightly bigger name or if not a bigger name than somebody who was a little bit better or whatever, even Danny Garcia, since he just took on Errol Spence like that, you know, so we could get a good idea of like, all right, well, then where's Terrence Crawford as far as his ability to handle Danny Garcia, although it would not have been as good a fight. So I kind of get that. But regardless, it almost felt as if it was an intentional attempt at trying to make Terrence Crawford look bad before he jumped ship because he clearly, after this fight, was not going to stay with top rank. So it was almost like a fuck you send off where it was like, all right, well, then let's try to tank your stock before you go. So that, that way we're not losing that much or whoever else gets you doesn't get like a hot product. And he kind of fucked that up and was just like, well, actually... And maybe maybe you didn't hear this, and maybe I heard wrong. But before the 10th round, uh, Bomack said something to Crawford, and he was just like, you're down. You know, you're down on the cards or something like that. And Terrence Crawford was like, what? Like, are you kidding me? And then so he came out, and he whooped his ass. And to me, that was like one of the most like impressive parts was that they were like, dude, you got to turn this up. And he was almost just like, turn fucking what up? What are you talking about? And he was just like, well, okay, I guess I got to turn it up. And did. He fucking turned it all the way the fuck up. So, I mean, you know, it was almost to me, it felt as if, again, just my speculation, not trying to charge top rank with anything. It just felt like putting on that main event with that shite-ass undercard and... It was almost like an int and and on top of that, Sean Porter, despite the fact that he's aggressive, he often can make his opponents look not that good. You know, he's good at that. So it almost felt to me like it was a deliberate attempt to make Terrence Crawford look like shit before whatever it is he does. And anyway, he thwarted that clearly oh, by shined. putting on a good performance. Shined. Put on a hell of a performance, man. That was probably the best one of his career up until this point. The one. Um, I would say, you know, the Gamboa fight was the one that he was tested the most. Yeah, I think he would have said so himself before he broke through and stopped him. But this one, for a variety of reasons, um, has to be his most impressive win. And, and I was just going to say that it, it sounded like after the fight, too, there was some talk from Aram about that he wanted to see Terrence Crawford in with Josh, uh, Josh Taylor next, and even as if he has any say in that now. But and yeah, just, he said something to the effect of I'm gonna offer him fights, but I'm not gonna offer him a contract. Yeah, so it's probably gonna be some stupid ass shit fucking offer that he can then say, Well, he turned it down, you know, later on. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we know how this works, dude. It it's anyway, but and as, and as good as a fight with Josh Taylor would be, don't get me wrong. I that fight meant to be a fast Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you. Like, what do you think? I think that would be a great fight. Absolutely fascinating fight. I'd rather, much rather prefer to see the Spence fight first if possible or something to that effect. I think um, let that fight happen and then Taylor, in a perfect world, 
Crawford would fight Spence and then Taylor would fight the winner of that. Uh, this is boxing. So obviously that's never going to happen. Yeah. That makes too much sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. That would be like ideal for uh, Crawford Spence to happen next and then Taylor to get the winner or to make a defense and then get the winner. Exactly. Make, make a defense, defense and then go up and make and fight the winner. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I think that that would probably make the most sense and that would be ideal. So that's exactly why that's not going to fucking happen. <laughs> but regardless, if we did, for whatever reason, if Spence like needs some other opponent to kind of test his eye against, which I get it, dude, to be frank, and I'm not an optometrist, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, but just seeing him ringside, that that outer portion of his eye looks very scarred for sure. So I don't know if that's going to affect him. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't affect him at all, for real. But I would understand if he decided that instead he wants to test out his eye against some that's lesser totally opponent. After coming back from a major yeah. surgery like that, I get he it. going for a huge... It was good. I mean, it was big enough that he came back from a major car accident to fight Danny Garcia first enough. That wasn't yeah, a man. Call. That was a really he's been gone. He's gone through the fucking gauntlet for sure. Yeah. So definitely, um, I, w- I wouldn't have any complaints about that at all. All I know is that fight's not going to happen anytime soon. And like before, we said, well, I wish Spence all the best in his recovery, and hopefully that he can full make a full comeback because he still obviously has a ton to offer in the sport, and he's still in his prime. But yeah, man, I don't know if the Spence fight can't be made and Crawford is enticed enough that I'd love to see the Taylor fight next. I mean, Taylor definitely solidified himself as the best in the, as the junior welterweight in the world and um, as the undisputed champion and all that. I, and, you know, incredible talent in himself, one of the best in the world. And I, he's dead. He's not that small, too. You know, I mean, he's already been sized up with Crawford to take photos together. They're pretty big, you know, size-wise, they're pretty comparable. But, um, yeah, that's a fight I'd, I'd definitely be interested in seeing. But um, that's not the one I would love to see next. Uh, another scenario, too, is Crawford going to 154, like you kind of discussed before. You know, that's another big division, another deep division. Him as a free agent, I'm sure some of those fights would be a little bit easier to make but in terms of fighting the champion as opposed to fighting Spence. So I'm all for it. Let's just say I would not kick... Terrence Crawford versus Taylor out of bed for eating crackers, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, it would be a fine fight, and I think that Taylor has earned uh, a Taylor has earned a payday to that degree, yeah. or like a, a you know a big showing to that degree. But I mean, just looking real quick here, let's go ahead and look at 154 and see what kind of what kind of business we're talking about for Terrence Crawford. I mean, the, the yeah, top Castano, of the division. You have Charlo. Um, <clears throat> yep, you got Charlo, Castaño, Tim Zhu just entered the, the upper portion of the rankings on BoxRec. Yep. Liam Smith, Erickson Lubin. You know, there, there are some definitely, there's some doable fights and some winnable fights up there too, with Charlo probably being, you know, the best on paper, but Castaño also looking pretty good. I mean, those are, it's, it's a good division. And the question would be how much unfinished business would he be leaving behind at 147 or would be, would he be able to go back? Absolutely. It's a big question. 
Um, Whitaker did it for that one fight when he went up to fight Vasquez. He moved back immediately down, but Whitaker was just kind of different, a little bit smaller. Actually, yeah, but Bud's that. not like a huge welterweight in the first place, so it's not no. like he would be, you know, topping out at 154, you know, like a massive junior middleweight or something. I think he would move to 154 if any of those fights that he's trying to seek around 147 or the tail fight can't come through. And because I mean, at that point, at 147. I mean, look, there's still big fights out there that's not Spence if he's not quite ready, but it all, you know, kind of revolves around the PBC world. You know, um, who else would it be after that? You got Ugas, who who just beat Pacquiao, um, Keith Thurman. Um, who else would it be? Well, Danny Garcia said he's probably yeah, moving Danny to 154. He's moving to 154. Yeah, Garcia said he's moving to 154, but... All those fights, all those guys I'm kind of mentioning are just fights that Crawford would be a heavy favorite in. So I'm not even sure if he, like, besides a big payday, that's more or less him just kind of wiping these guys out as opposed to, like, really making a huge statement. Because at this point now, after especially what he did last night, he'd be a huge favorite over all those guys as opposed to uh, Spence. Well, and there are still other names, too. Like you said, PBC's kind of got the 154, too, but especially 147 division. Mm -hmm pretty much on lockdown, at least as far as the bigger fights and the bigger names. Uh, obviously, Errol Spence, Uga, Danny Garcia, whether or not he moved, he'd probably stay at 147 for a fight with Crawford, I would imagine. You know, Jose Cito Lopez, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what the hell Mikey Garcia is doing. <laughs> I wouldn't count too much on that at this I point. Mean, but even Crawford Adrian Brown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, From what he showed in his last fight, I'm not even sure if I'd be interested in that. No one, I don't think anyone else would be either. It would be a name that he could, uh, you know, put away or something like that. But otherwise, even Adrian Broner, dude, I'm I'm not saying that I'm I'm not saying that I advocate for that fight or for Adrian Broner. I'm <laughs> simply saying that it would be a, another name. So there are names for him to stick around at 147 and face. But in any case, uh, I don't want to say the world is his oyster. He's not quite at Canelo levels where he could just pick and choose. But there are options there for sure. And I don't know if he'll sign with PBC, but might not be the worst idea given the options. No, not at all. And I know every uh, promoter, big promoter, free agent, whatever you want to call them, is trying to scoop him up right now, or his phone is already bringing off the hook. PBC, I'm um, definitely would be interested. Um, I'm sure Richard Schaefer and his new uh, company, what are they? Pro, pro, Probellum. Probellum, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your face right now you're just empty Kellum. Um, yeah. um i'm sure they're they, they're gonna throw an offer out there uh yeah so <coughs> eddie hearn you know there's a lot of different options for crawford to deal with at this moment yeah there i i'll be obviously paying attention but the fight we want to spence we're gonna have to kind of see where errol where Earl Spence goes from here, and we'll have to yeah. is he gonna just hang out on his on his Texas farm with all his horses or come out and play? I don't know. I guess we'll see. But you know the wild shit, man. Him and Regis Progray. <laughs> like they're always tweeting about just like getting into something like within like running horses or tripping on some shit. Like you read Progray's tweets, right? And how yeah, like, like he's like going out. fishing for some crazy <laughs> shit or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah comes back with like a scar on his arm he says he got caught up by some weird animal or something like that <laughs> yeah he's always like messing he's like the the alligator man he's yeah always messing with some 
some fucking <laughs> lizard or some shit. Yeah, dude. You know, like they're hanging out in the bayous. <laughs> there's some straight up, yeah, there's some straight up country boys that, that venture into the city every so often. I mean, you know, I, I'd love to see that fight. But what I was saying earlier was that, uh, unfortunately, the card was supported by just not a good undercard. And as kind of I had uh, said on the preview, that I suspected that free fight would probably be the best fight in Isaac Dogboe and, you know, Patufo Diaz. And it, it was, and even so, it wasn't even really just like an okay fight because Diaz tried to box a little too much and kind of overplayed his hand in that regard. And, you know, <laughs> wind up yeah, losing the fight fairly close. And the rest of the card, just not good. Esquiva Falcao versus Patrice Volney, which I thought was going to be a pretty good fight. Uh, Falcao wound up having to get a technical decision because of a awful, awful headbutt, just like truly loud, terrible headbutt oh, that yeah, caused that like a, a it's like a four inch gash right up uh, Falcao's like forehead. Obviously, dude, I was shocked. The craziest shit about that was that they were acting like they were going to let that fight go on for a minute or two. I was like, they were like, oh yeah, he gets five minutes. You can see he was grimacing. In pain. Yeah, five oh, minutes to what? <laughs> you think that shit's about to start healing in five minutes or something, bro? He was the awful, fuck? Dave. Oh my god, it wasn't even so much just the, like the the thud of it. Like, oh, I can't imagine the throbbing and the weird shit that was going on in his head from that. You can no tell he was trying not to move his eyebrows because it was hurting, yeah. and he was like, ah, ah, like, bro, just stop the fucking fight. Curious so, how many stitches he had to get for that. Can you imagine if that gotten punched and opened more? Like, yeah, come nah, on, dude, you nah, can't right. risk that, you idiots. Jesus and how deep Christ. it probably was, too. Good but lord. The only, um, the only other notable thing about that fight besides the cut that ended it was um, the, uh, the stare that um was it volcom you said volney <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Vol yeah. yeah. dude had like a three minute long stare right yeah. <laughs> that everyone i already took photos of it screenshot yeah, it's already been a meme you know, it's yeah, already been memed for sure run down to the gap train already yeah <laughs> uh, well, that was funny as hell too though because he really was just staring ahead <laughs> 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 that was good shit yeah that was that was definitely me more to the shit but oh, unfortunately it was a uh, a somewhat lackluster fight that ended you know unceremoniously uh Janabek Alim Kanuli wound up beating up uh Hassan and Dom which was like that was kind of painful too because it was kind of clear fairly early on that he wasn't going to quite have the power to put him away Mm -hmm. But that, like, and Dom was still kind of ballsy and kept trying to fight on, and they weren't going to stop the fight despite the fact that it probably should have been stopped a little bit ago. And, you know, it, so there were some fairly one-sided fights that were just a, a little bit unfortunate. But anyway, we won't dwell on that bull crap, bro. We got boo-boo to talk about. <laughs> Actually, yeah. you know what? Even more important. We, we I, I apologize. What's that? I thought you were going to say the biggest fight in boxing. Well, that apart from that, even even bigger than the biggest fight in boxing, because we got a name drop a little bit that our dude, uh, Boxrec Gray, Gray Johnson, actually worked for the New Hampshire Commission doing some scorekeeping. So, I mean, I got to congratulate our guy there. He did a great job and had a lot of fun at a pretty cool card, to be honest. I mean, it was... It was we got much... to see him on TV. Yeah, man, he made a couple, yep. of, uh, made a couple of little guest spots there ringside. <laughs> yep it, it was a better card in terms of entertainment value than i than i 
I think I probably expected going in and in large part because Demetrius Andrade was able to, you know, was able to go to work and actually, actually put Jason Quigley away quickly rather than, yeah, thank goodness. He, he really needed a performance like that, like really badly. He absolutely did, but you know, because Andrade, obviously we've discussed it before and you've seen it every time he fights a guy that's completely overmatched, he just copes. You know, he doesn't look really that impressive. He just goes through the motions. Like, he'll look good and spectacular for the first two or three rounds, drop the guy a couple of times, and then he just takes his foot off the pedal. And for some reason, we'll just labor on to a tedious decision. And Quigley was so overmatched that he couldn't even he couldn't even let that happen. He had to make a statement, and um, he did make a statement for this fight. And, yeah, and only, what was it, only two rounds that it went, and Andre did what he kind of wanted to do to him, and that was a very impressive performance nonetheless. Obviously, it gets a very overmatched performance opponent that's going to do nothing for his record or legacy or whatever, aside from just looking good on TV. But that was the type of one that Andre needed to keep his name in the uh, in the mix, as opposed to just being a joke when everyone kind of laughs at when he goes around demanding big fights. I feel kind of bad because I feel bad for the Irish fans because it's not the first Irish fighter that uh, Demetrius Andrade has more or less outclassed. And Ireland has actually undergoing a bit of a, a surge as far as popularity with boxing right now. And they have some actually very good fighters. It's just that there are a handful of divisions where they do have representation and they're just not quite on the, you know, not quite on that international or elite world-class level at this point, unfortunately. But the point is, you know, uh, Demetrius Andrade did exactly what he should have done with Jason Quigley and, frankly, what he should have done with several other fighters before this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, on one hand, you want to praise him and you want to say, yes, you know, like you, you did what you should have done and th good job. Thank goodness. But you also don't want to overpraise for doing what he should have done. You know, you that's kind of, I think, where people are getting some people in the media, like whose names rhyme with Kiss Janix, for instance, <laughs> are, are getting a little carried away as far as, you know, they're confusing that there's a difference between a fighter doing what they're supposed to do and looking pretty good doing it and totally kicking the shit out of somebody that they didn't, you know, weren't expected to kick the shit out of because they were an underdog and they like rose to the occasion, you know, something like that. There's, there's a pretty big difference. And so <clears throat> just because Demetrius Andre is like overdue in the middleweight division for a bigger fight, I will admit we've said it before. It has, you know, unfortunately boxing has nothing to do with a deserving or meritocracy or anything like that. If it did, you could say, yeah, he probably deserves a big fight and all that type of stuff. But just because he seems overdue, that doesn't automatically make this fight, this fight, or this fight a massive fight in boxing. Because it's not. There's probably more buzz surrounding Demetrius Andrade from his win the other night than just about any other time that he's fought. And it was totally overshadowed by at least one other fight this weekend. So... I, I that's just the truth. It's not to disparage him. It's just the truth. There's not really much demand, but regardless of whether there is or not, 
he did exactly the right thing is that if they're not going to fight him, then he's going to have to just like put fools away. That's basically what it's going to have to do, man. Cause I don't know when he's going to get a big fight. Even Eddie Hearn, his promoter, he put him on for this show and made it the main event, but at the same time, he hasn't really done much to try to push him for a big fight aside from just saying interviews that he deserves one. So this is exactly what Andre has to do. He doesn't have an endearing personality that people are going to really be into him because he's kind of quirky and annoying. Um, his style usually in the ring has been producing really boring, tedious fights. So add, you know, add those two factors together. And he's not a person that anybody has been clamoring to watch, but for him to be able to finally show that, you know what, I can take out an overmatch opponent that has no business being in the ring with me and do it spectacularly like that, at least that's going to create buzz that, hey, maybe Andre's turned a new leaf here and he's going to do this more up, more opponents. And we need to see him, like, against an elite fighter already. Enough is enough. This is at least going to try to beat the drums even more so. That being said, even though he blew out this guy, even though he blew out Quigley, you know, I still see the same deficiencies I've been seeing in him over and over uh, and his lack of technique for a number of years now. So, like, I still see, when I watch the way he fights and everything like that, I still don't see an issue that he's going to give, like, Canelo, aside from a few rounds, until he gets figured out. Like, Andre's clearly a talented fighter, and the way he blasted out quickly was impressive, and he was quick, and he was powerful for it and all that, but he still kind of does the same things where he's off balance a lot. He's still trying to still lunges in with his punches, throws weird punches and wide angles and loops him and stuff like that. Like he can't get away with this shit when he's going to fight a Charlo, let alone a, uh, let alone a Canelo. Yeah. And it, it's like, you can't depend on awkwardness. And that's what be, he's kind of doing now. Yeah. Yeah. You can't depend on the awkwardness of your style like that. It will only get you so far. It will get you places, but it's not going to get you past elite level opponents. And that's kind of like, he's like you said, he's talented. He's got hand speed. He clearly has some footwork as strange as it is <laughs> doing some merengue shit. And he's definitely willing to say some weird shit about Mexico after the fight. But regardless, you know, you know, the, he can't depend on that forever. And so, yeah, he, he definitely has some deficiencies. And I will say another thing that is worrisome, it's concerning is that after the fight, they're talking about uh, Chris Mannix, you know, the people on DAZN, uh, Eddie Hearn, just about everybody but Demetrius Andre are talking about they're going to make a fight with uh, Jamal Charlo. And it's like, well, that's not an immediately makeable fight because they're with two different promoters and two different networks or, you know, in which in andre's case he's with the zone and i don't know the nature of whether or not they can work around x y or z or how much they've paid into andre's so they you know his fights have to be on the zone i have no idea but they're all talking about this and this is something that our that our dude ranger rollins deuce on twitter has said and also i think that uh, our dude javon bay had both said that like why are you talking about a fight that is across the aisle across the street as it were Yet you have two fighters in like, you know, the, the immediate one that you would think of is Golovkin or the winner of Golovkin Murata. Why are you not talking about those? Cause that makes no sense. And, and that's so a I mean, fight to make too. I'd love to see Charlo, not Charlo, um, Andre against, uh, Golovkin, especially the Golovkin now in 2021 was clearly dropped down a notch or two. And if he beats Murata, what the fuck else is he doing? Yeah. Absolutely. How how much is he going to chase Canelo up? How long is he going to do that for? 
I mean, both guys, like, it, it's almost hilarious how both guys were signed to the zone with the sole purpose of hoping to land a Canelo fight. And, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, where it kind of essentially comes down preview. to. It's like, oh. Yeah, you know, Andre signed up with Eddie Hearn because he thought he was going to be getting super fights out of this and becoming one of the premier names in boxing. And aside from headlining on the zone a few times, hasn't had one of those defining fights whatsoever at all. Instead, maybe his stock is, like, diminished instead of, like, being bigger. And Golovkin, with, remember, he, like, even got stock in, like, the zone or whatever it was in the deal he got. Like, he made some crazy deal with him for all this money with the sole purpose of getting the third fight against Triple G, uh, you know, with the, with the making the Canelo fights against stuff like that. What's happened? Yeah, they they put together a rematch after a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. And then, you know, base, it sounded like they promised him or at least led him to believe a third fight was definitely happening. And it pretty much dissipated because apparently it's, from my perspective, what it sounded like was that DAZN felt that with the money they had given Canelo, that they would be able to pressure him into making that fight. Mm -hmm. And that Canelo clearly saw that one, his relationship with Golden Boy was deteriorating and that he was like, yeah, I don't really want to be in this with Golden Boy anymore because they're communicating with DAZN and trying to work shit out behind my back. And two, DAZN has like zero commitment or long-term commitment to boxing, regardless of how much money they're putting in. Because listen, I know some people are like, 360 million dollars that's a shitload of money i'm not saying it's not i don't have fucking 360 dollars talk about 360 million dollars but like but regardless dude you also have to understand that DAZN put like three billion or something like that into their european football deal like 360 million i know that to boxing people that's like oh my god that's the biggest whatever and that's like a 10th of what they're fucking running on just one football deal in Europe. So people also have to understand that the zone is not nearly as uh, bought into this boxing thing as they believe that the zones probably sees this more as a fucking nuisance than many people realize that it's been a lot of trouble because it hasn't delivered what they said it was going to deliver when they got into the boxing shit. You know, there's been fights where they were going to do this. They're going to do the third Golovkin fight and, you know, and it never wound up happening. And on top of that, what their biggest or one of their biggest stars, Canelo was like, you guys are lame. I'm out. So it, it has not worked and out Canelo well for them at all. Either. And so it sounded like they basically overplayed their hand to me. That's what it sounded like. And Canelo uh, took a risk, split off, kicked some ass, and is now, you know, basically reaping the rewards of taking that risk and is going to take a long vacation. And who knows what DAZN and Golovkin and Andre are going to do. But at least in the meanwhile, Andre getting this win was like the first big step toward something for him. For sure. Absolutely. And Chris Mannix trying to be the flag bearer and taking the mantle for, you know, the drums rolling, whatever you want to call it, for this fight that's never going to happen. Look, look, that shit was it? I'm, I'm trying to remember now. Was it, what's Charlo was it that Andre was scheduled to fight back in 2014? It was the one that everyone wants to fight right now, right? To be I'm honest, almost positive I'm, it was. I'm almost I'm not, positive it is. I'm not sure. Probably. Um, I'm, I'm almost positive it was. But anyways... <clears throat> That was the only chance it was, man. That was like one of the few. That was the few chances. Like when it when that ship sailed, 
that's there's no way that fight can happen right now. Andre's not leaving the zone the to go yeah. over to BBC. And there's no way that Charlo was ever going to go over to the zone for that fight at this moment. So that's just going to be a back and forth bickering. That's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, the most logical fight to make, you would think, especially after the fight in December, would be Triple G. If he wins this fight against Murado or the winner of that fight against Andrade. They're both on the network, especially too. But I don't, you know, it's kind of interesting that this fight is not on the zone, right? That this uh, upcoming fight isn't it? What is it? It's on Amazon Prime or some shit. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know about here in the U.S. That's like a Japanese deal. Okay. Because yeah, to my knowledge, I could be wrong. Maybe it's an expanded. I don't. I have no. Weird. I didn't. I don't. I just. I don't have no idea. And to me, I hope for for. I said I kind of tweeted something similar about this, but I hope for their sake it's not on Amazon. Whatever. I hope for their sake it's on DAZN because branching into some new. Uh, some new market with a, a with a platform that has been totally untested in the boxing market with uh, an opponent that's unknown in the U.S. is not that'd be a stupid move unless they're Agreed. specifically trying to get like Amazon Prime subscription. It's that shit's like fucking one hundred twenty bucks every six months or something. You aren't gonna get out of here. Nah, that's <laughs> stupid. That's not gonna happen. So I hope they're not doing that. But to my knowledge, it's a it's a Japanese deal. That they're going to be showing it on Amazon Video in Japan or something like that. So, but regardless, what it's you said about fight, it's a really good fight, and the winner of that fight versus Andrade is what makes sense. And even Demetrius Andrade, it was almost like he was turning to to these guys and almost like pleading with them. Like that, it it was almost like he was looking at them like I don't know why you guys are talking about this other fight. Like there are these other fights on my own network that we can make. Stop talking about Charlo. Like I'll fight him, but like, how are we going to make that fight? So he, it almost, it's almost like he's for once was like dropped the goofball shit and was just like, hold on a second. Yeah, like, a lot of people me mentioned me on Twitter fight. too that like he came off in his interview much more serious and like instead of just kind of being the goofball and making jokes and hey, it's me again or some shit like, hey, enough is enough, you know. Um, maybe he even like smartened up after getting clowned in the Canelo press conference, trying to break it down and becoming a meme afterwards, like. You know, at this point, if you want these big fights, you have to do something about it. And this was the first step. Yeah. You fight he with no body, man. It was a very you fight with no opponent. body. Yeah. He was against it. <laughs> it was against an opponent that he was supposed to beat, but he had to do it spectacularly. And he at least did that. And um, whether or not it was in front of his hometown fans, I don't even know how many people were there really, but like, it, was, it looked like the crowd like was a lively totally crowd. Weak. But um, yeah, it seemed like a lively crowd. Yeah. I don't know what it was like, but it seemed like a lively crowd. But you know, it's these times are weird, so it's kind of difficult to gauge whether or not that's even a good thing, or you know, who knows. But it 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 did seem like a lively crowd. They did seem like they were fairly happy with the show they got. The card itself was a little bit more entertaining than I expected it to be. Um, but I mean, it was. I think the the standout there. Unfortunately, a fight ended early with McWilliams Arroyo. That and, was a uh, fun fight too. That was building up to be man. Arroyo looked kind of beat up, but man, that first round. Yeah, it's usually rare too. Not only just in, well, let alone a world title fight, but just a fight in general where both guys get dropped in the first round. Like that, let alone that already makes it like a really fun, exciting fight and a high drama, and everyone's like, "Oh shit, what's going to happen next?" But 
that's what started out right away. You know, um, flyweight division has always been like, you know, it's always been known for excitement. It's always had some legendary fights, legendary fighters. We've discussed it plenty of times on the show, but that was a fun one, man. Um, McWilliams Arroyo and, um, Julio Martin. Cesar Martinez. Yeah, 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 excuse me. Yeah, Julio Cesar <laughs> Martinez is always made for fun. But Martinez is a fucking like whirlwind. All right, has extra incredible power. All the times he's been featured on the zone since he's come on the scene, he's been a ball of fun to watch. You know, a small guy in stature, but he's hyped too. The way he pounds his gloves before the fight, he's going around smashing things, just looking pissed off and ready to go. He's awesome. And he's really, you know, since he's been champion, man, he's been on a great run. He's been blasting guys left and right. No one's been able to keep up with him. And no one's been able to, like, stand up to him, you know, to that point. Arroyo did in that first round. Arroyo came right out. They went for a firefight because Martinez is one of those guys that's going to bring the heat right away. And Arroyo not only was keeping up with him, he was countering him well and got the better of it early on because he dropped him. And that was the first time anyone, you know, I've, at least I've seen Martinez, like, hurt and, like, <laughs> suffer some kind of some kind of resistance in a fight yeah. like that. But he came back admirably well because at the end of that round, Arroyo looked bushwhacked. Yeah, dude, it was like, uh, that was an incredible first round. And then, and then looking at, looking at Martinez afterward, especially like watching his interview afterward, he looks approximately 10 years old, dude. The guy looks so young and especially compared to, uh, Arroyo, Arroyo is like 34 or 35 years old. And for a flyweight, that's, you know, we've talked about this before, but Yeah. yeah, that's on the older side of old for flyweight for sure. And then. Martinez is like 25 or 26 and you could definitely see that there was a clear age difference between them but then you know that experience gap also kind of caught up with but yeah I think that uh McWilliams Arroyo apart from having a fun name to both memorize and say he's obviously you know he's obviously uh, kind of spent as a fighter despite the fact that he was able to drop Martinez looked like he was kind of you know didn't really I don't want to say he didn't have much to offer after that, but it looked like Martinez was going to start to take over. It's difficult to predict, but it, that's what it looked like. And it looked I mean, like once Arroyo he started was hitting like, him, bro, he started landing some shots and yeah. a little bloody before that. I think Arroyo up. was kind of like, yeah, I, th- I think we're, I think we, we showed up, you know, we're good. So that's kind of what it looked like anyway. I could be wrong, but uh, either way, I think it's pretty clear that Martinez is, I don't know if they have like some sort of rematch clause, but I would imagine that if he could, Martinez would probably try to move on. Absolutely. Um, the other thing too, what's really funny, you know, you mentioned how like young Martinez looks and how tiny and stuff like that. When he was being introduced, because he was getting so hyped up, you could see he was like revving himself up. He kept on flexing his pecs. And because the guy has such like a small little body and chest and just see his like things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, punch out, you know, some. Like, yeah, big, yeah, yeah. He just moves it. Macho man, I think. Flexes pecs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look over there like super macho man shit. You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, that was, it would have been a. He's a fun a, guy. He's one of my fight. favorite fighters on the scene right now. Yeah, for sure. I Well, and so that was the fight that I think we were looking forward to from an action perspective so it sucks that it wound up getting cut short but actually um the fight that wound up really showing up uh was the opening fight between kaylee reese and jessica kamara that we had talked about a little bit on the preview um what basically wound up happening was that kaylee reese looked 
I mean, she looked good in the first couple rounds, and then she got really tired as if she, I don't know if she had a hard camp, a long camp, trouble making weight. I have honestly no idea. But she looked like she got exhausted fairly early in the fight and then wound up having to rally late in the fight against Jessica Kamara and did so well. It wound up being a very good fight because she was able to rally. Um, But I think that even being pretty close to home, uh, the crowd did not really think she deserved the split decision that she wound up getting over Kamara. I, I thought that it was really close, so I, I don't want to, you know, crap on the decision or on Kaylee Reese's effort. But I thought that Jessica Kamara probably did deserve to win that fight. That she just, in terms of rounds, probably piled up more points. But it was a really good fight, um, as we talked about. On the preview, it's good to both see indigenous representation in boxing, but LGBTQ representation in boxing, and also for women's boxing to once again show fans, networks, whomever, that they're worthy of being featured and will show up to fight, will offer action, and are just as good as, you know, just as good as quote-unquote regular boxing. So it's time to just fucking shed the bullshit and put the women on the shows well that's what they've been doing bro it's um it's never been a better time i guess for women's boxing than what it is now i mean i guess they they obviously still deserve to be paid more and treated more as equals which they've been working towards to but like in terms of exposure and how they're featured and how they're recognized and the respect that they've gained gained um women's boxing is very very healthy right now for all that there's still a lot of ground to be made and there's still a lot of you know goals to be reached but compared to how it was at one point like in the 90s or anything you know we have the pioneers like christy martin and ones that even came before them but like in terms of it actually having like full-on respect you know the competitive fights that we have some of them even more look forward to than like you said regular boxing then yeah women's boxing is very uh healthy at the moment yeah, and judge yeah, about that fight too, man. That was awesome. That was a that was a very solid fight. Probably home cooking involved because Callie Reese is from well, we mentioned before on the show from Rhode Island. The fight was held in New Hampshire, New England type of deal. A lot of uh, a lot of the crowd was on her side, so that always plays a factor. Wherever you go, you go into the opponent's backyard. It's kind of hard to get a decision that way. So all of that plays in the factor. But all in all, a very um, solid fight. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was actually a pretty decent card. Uh, especially with it was a fun card absolutely yeah there there have been some disappointing developments with DAZN over the last handful of months and whatnot and with their pay-per-view outings that they're planning and stuff I mean nobody's really too excited about that but they do have some good stuff on the schedule thank goodness to close out the year and that's you know that's what it's all about can't complain about that shit but look dude overall it's a pretty good weekend of boxing I mean it wasn't the best fights or whatever but like, I don't know. I just feel kind of like we got the we got the the full spectrum. You know, we got some controversy, got some bullshit, got some good fighting, got some bad fighting, some head clashes, blood, bad blood. Just good shit. It was very boxing. Yeah, and you know, it got Twitter really revved up. There was a lot of um yeah, I mean, like you everything you just said, man, it was a really exciting weekend. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I'm always down with these Friday cards now. If you want to put a card on Friday, I'm cool with it. You want to put a card on Saturday, like normal, fine. You want to put one on Sunday as well? I'm all for it. More boxing, the better for me. I couldn't give a shit. Well, and especially for y'all in the 
on the East Coast, dude. I mean, put them earlier in the day for Christ's sake. Stop putting them on at like fucking two in the morning and shit for you guys. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty hyped that last night's main event started around like 11:30 or so. That's a super rarity for a pay per view. Yeah, that's that's just I couldn't even cope. I'm getting old. I couldn't even cope with that shit at this point, dude. Like oh, it starts it's crazy, man. Like like 30 and I'm like, whoa. I remember Damn. one time, for instance, I remember one time when I was when I would do a uh, punch zone for one of those HBO cards, and it was the uh, the show in Newark that featured Zab Judah against um Lucas Matisse. That show didn't start. Didn't start by the way, not even the main event. Didn't start till like 11 30, 11 45 at night. Like it didn't go live on the air. It was absurd. That's it nuts. made no sense why. And then the undercard was Robert Guerrero against uh, Escobedo, I think, Vicente Escobedo or some shit. And that fight went the distance. So, like, Judah against Matisse oh, did not start until like almost 1 a.m. Yeah, Things and then like that, that wound that up going the distance no to like a split decision or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just like it gets brutal, man. Extremely brutal. Yeah, that shit's rough, dude. Well, either way, you know, I I wouldn't really be hurting if they wanted to. I remember NBC tried to revive the the Saturday day uh cards early in the 2000s i loved that but i guess they just didn't i remember that baby. Yeah, yeah budweiser yeah. was sponsoring it i forgot who fought on them but i do remember that wasn't it like rocky rocky wires on one of them or something yeah the, it was um it was i'm pretty i want to say it was main events was yes. it was a bunch of main events fighters that who that had like just been signed that were like you know young pros like panchito bojado fought on one uh yeah rocky juarez i think fought on one yeah dude there was i mean they were just like you know i can't remember who it was that panchito bojado fought but one of the fights was like toward the end of the fight like he scored like a massive like crazy highlight reel knockdown like it wasn't a knockout but it was like a crazy knockdown and it was a lot of fun but they just i guess never i don't know if it was just kind of like a one-time deal thing and it was just never worth revisiting for abc or what but or nbc but it was good it was fun hope they do it again yeah i'm always down for the afternoon shows and it gives you like a cool feeling too when you kind of watch them back then because everything was still like in daylight especially if the fight was outside or something you know what i mean yeah and i can't remember where exactly one of the cards was but uh one or two of them took place like outside like outdoors so it was like yeah. damn this feels like you know old school-ish because that shit doesn't happen that often anymore i think like the last card i remember a abc it might have been i think it was abc put on was or one of the last ones the one i remember i watched it live was when stevie johnston fought jose luis castillo the first time and that was outdoors like in yeah. bright daylight a little bit bad yeah yeah that's good shit dude i wish they would do more of that but you know <laughs> Absolutely. I, I get it now it's all about the site fees and all that type. I don't even know if it's really but all just, about that you know, anymore. Just into account, man. It's just mad late on the East Coast. Like, that shit's tough. It's not fun. Like, when fights start at 12.30, 1 a.m. and stuff, or they're just getting things going, and they're just expecting everybody, like, I get it. It's in Vegas. Okay, it's only 9.30 over there. They're taking nothing to account of how it is on the, on the, on the, on the East Coast for that. Yeah, dude. That shit's rough, know. man. Even more people want to fight... When fights happen at MSG or on the East Coast thing, thing too, they'll still make them start late, just for whatever reason. 
well, I guess they got to try to appease the West Coast fans or something for some reason. Why I don't know, but it would just be better to start them earlier. But no, nah, dude, you know it was it was a good weekend, a good weekend of fights. So I, I feel pretty satisfied. For sure, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, dude, I I appreciate you once again, of course, taking the time to do the recap with me, bro. I had a lot of fun with the recap, a lot of fun watching the fights. Yeah, man, this was a really solid weekend, and um, I'm looking forward to the other shit that we have planned ahead you know, in the coming weeks. So yeah, all systems go. And then you can, of course, expect to hear from us about said shit for sure. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff closing out the year. No question. There's a, a number of really good fight cards. So we'll be back. But in the meanwhile, before we're back, for instance, if you're watching this or listening to us on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe on YouTube extremely helpful but also subscribe on the podcast apps or whichever podcast app you're listening to us through if you're on social media like twitter for instance follow my dude eris pina at punch zone eris follow me patrick connor at patrick m connor and also if you're on facebook you can find the knuckles and gloves podcast there and you know i don't know i mean i guess just look around on social media where we all are bro and we'll find us you know absolutely all right, everybody. Thanks so much, dude. And take it easy. Have a good one. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.